edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that never stops asking itself, what have we done for you lately? Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew Hucker, your host. With me, as always, is Van Sanders. Van, how are you this fine episode? I'm doing all right, man. Keeping busy. Lots of irons in the fire. Kind of looking forward to uh, this quote-unquote debate that we have coming up. Should be fun. How is that 40-foot 3D bass client project coming along that just, I can't wait to see pictures. Yeah, it's going really well. Um, The client is a really cool guy to work with. Um, It may be a little bit, but uh, I'll share pictures once the project is done for sure. Yeah, I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Van does some amazing creations with 3D, and what companies do with this 3D image is just unbelievable. So, And we will throw you Van's website at the end of the podcast. I would also like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform, and would like to remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone, and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. And by the way, if if you haven't been following the Daily News series called Curious Alaska, you really should. I mean, the the recent piece uh, about the history of ballooning in Anchorage was just, it was just a rush of nostalgia, just brilliant. All right, moving on. On today's episode of With All Due Respect, we're going to talk politics. We're going to talk Anchorage's next mayor. I'm going to talk about the campaign, the results, and I'll have some general observations about the runoff. Then we're going to move into kind of a hybrid life entertainment segment where Van and I will have a very brief but passionate debate over whose generation had the greatest sociocultural impact on society. I'll close with some personal thoughts on Governor Mike Dunleavy, who appears to be very concerned that free speech is being restricted on social media. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't this the same Governor Dunleavy who called Mayor Berkowitz and asked him to silence you on social media? Yes, Van. The same Governor Dunleavy, the same governor who attempted to curtail my free speech on social media, is now worried about free speech being curtailed on social media. So needless to say, I have some very strong opinions about the governor and his protection of free speech. But before we get to the Jetsons, the Simpsons, and Governor Dunleavy, first, let's talk politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. The race to become Anchorage's ninth elected mayor is too close to call. As a podcast time, a small amount of votes separated Forrest Dunbar and Dave Bronson, with thousands more to be counted. We knew this race was going to be close, and it certainly didn't disappoint. Historically, this will be the closest Anchorage mayor's race since the 2000 runoff between George Wirch and Mark Begich, when Wirch won by just two points. So, while we wait to find out who our next mayor is, let's talk about what lies ahead for each one of them. 
One of the greatest things about American democracy is the system of checks and balances. Since the assembly provides the check and balance, let's take a look at what each one of these prospective mayor candidates can face. If Dave Bronson becomes Anchorage's next mayor, he has his work cut out for him. Currently, he has only two solid conservative votes out of 11 on the assembly. So for the first year, a mayor Bronson is going to be hemmed in. When you look at assembly incumbents up for re-election in 2022, I can't see him picking up more than two seats, and one could very well be a wash because we add another downtown seat to the assembly makeup, which typically leans more center-left. Even in year 2023, looking at incumbents that are up for re-election, I cannot see conservatives picking off enough incumbents to give Bronson a majority of the votes on the assembly during his term. But as 2020 taught us, look, things can change quickly. For Dunbar, he's got a much easier road with his assembly relationships he's already established. These are members he has not only served with for the last four years, but are more politically aligned with him. In either case... I mean, let's be honest, no matter what side you're on, what side of the aisle, what side of the political spectrum, Anchorage's mayors are hemmed in by tax caps, voter approvals on all new taxes. So if you're either worried about the social or fiscal impacts of either candidate winning, given the makeup of the assembly and the laws that hem in a mayor and assembly with regards to raising taxes, I believe that there's sufficient checks and balances here. And hopefully we're going to get some compromise and collaboration on some of these challenges that Anchorage faces. But I do want to say I have a tremendous amount of respect for every single mayor candidate who put their name on that ballot. Until you have put your name on a ballot and put your name and your reputation out in public, you have no idea what it's like. It takes courage, a lot of courage. Now some final thoughts about the runoff campaign. I felt the entire runoff campaign was loud angry, and dismissive. It really capitalized on our fear without giving us any vision of what's ahead, of any vision of a brighter day. We were offered a choice between two of the least qualified candidates in history at a time our city is trying to emerge from a recession and a pandemic. And what is most demoralizing is that the two most qualified candidates for the job of mayor came in third and fourth. One of those candidates was Bill Evans, who, during the runoff, was under great pressure from conservatives to endorse Dave Bronson, even prompting what I have to consider the most embarrassing and weak-sauced editorial opinions I've ever read. Andrew Jensen, opinion editor at the Alaska Journal of Commerce, blasted Evans in an opinion editorial as a quote-unquote establishment Republican who should be endorsing Bronson. First, let me say to Andrew Jensen, Until you've had the guts, the courage, the boldness of Bill Evans to put your name on a ballot, your opinion is meaningless drivel from someone who doesn't even remember their own prior opinions. Evans' response was not to endorse a candidate, but instead he published a list of qualities he endorsed in a candidate. I personally know how Bill Evans feels. In 2015, when I finished third in the mayor's race, I responded the same way. I felt, look, my voters had a choice to choose either Ethan Berkowitz or Amy Domboski. They chose Andrew Halcrow, so they should make the decision. However, when Amy Domboski and local Baptist preacher Jerry Prevo started throwing around baseless accusations, I felt I needed a way in. Look, as a recovering politician, I want to tell you this that it is tough to put your name on a ballot, and it is even tougher to lose an election. So these harpy, whiny opinions and these comments on social media attacking Bill Evans, people, man, 
Get a grip. Get a grip. And now, entertainment. All right, let's mix a little life and entertainment. Much has been written over the last few years about millennials and their generation. Of course, you know, for those of us in older generations, you know, we're always looking down on the younger generations. I mean, this dates back. Even Shakespeare complained that the kids today wanted to do nothing more than read sonnets. I mean, it's, it's a generational. I was born directly on the demarcation line of Baby Boomer and Gen X. I feel I have one foot in each generation. Van is a millennial. Now, for the record, I am the father of two brilliant, amazing, hardworking millennials. So I can attest to their fortitude, their intelligence, and their commitment, okay? So Van and I have worked together for years. And about four years ago, I, it was first thing in the morning, I was in the break room, I was pouring myself a cup of coffee, and I overheard Van talking to another employee. And his quote was, oh, yeah, man, things were so awesome in the 90s. And of course, you know, as a child of the 70s, I, I took great offense to that. So being curious, I pressed him to make his arguments. You know, why were things in the 90s superior? And it was at that moment we really kicked open the door to this generational debate over what generation's contributions were more significant, had a greater sociocultural impact on America. We have each made one selection from a specific genre, and we will have 60 seconds to make our argument to you. Today, the topic is cartoons. I drew first, so I will go first. Ladies and gentlemen, I offer you the Jetsons. On May 25th, 1961, JFK pointed to the moon and said, yo, we are going there. That set off a decade of fascination with outer space and aliens and life into the future. A year later, after JFK's historic announcement, the geniuses at Hanna-Barbera released a primetime animated show called The Jetsons. The show took place in Orbit City, a fictional outer space city, and told the story of a futuristic family with all the features of the modern world and the problems as well. The show's entire theme song consisted of just 11 words. Meet George Jetson, his boy Alroy, daughter Judy, Jane his wife. The show, I believe, had a greater sociocultural impact because... This was a show that offered everything to the viewer at a time when imagination was exploding. It offered the rough-and-tumble world of tech competition between space leads, space sprockets, and Cogswell's cosmic cogs. The challenges of future life, the three-hour work week, and where it's not uncommon to get stuck on a treadmill suspending from your outside balcony. The show offered us an amazing glimpse of the future, the internet, Zoom calls, and manual labor done by robots. This was truly the definitive cartoon of any generation. Okay, so the Jetsons were great, but one of the many reasons I was making the case that 90s kids had it so good was because we could enjoy what came before us as well as what was produced in the 90s. I was lucky enough to melt my brain to the tunes of Scooby-Doo, as well as Doug, the Herculoids, Thundercats, Snorks, Pink Panther, and Flintstones, as well as Dexter's Lab, Ren and Stimpy, Tailspin, and so many others. Being able to enjoy that unfairly more broad and expansive body of work that built on itself, I'm fortunate enough to have a vantage on this issue that older generations might not have, which isn't any fault of their own. And with that discerning eye comes a more difficult and nuanced decision. 
remember, we're not debating as to which cartoon is better, but which cartoon of your respective generations had the greater impact on our society. The cartoon from the 90s that I believe had the greatest impact on our culture, eclipsing that of the Jetsons, is The Simpsons. This hilarious satire of American life really was a first of its kind. It helped to engage multiple generations in current events while poking fun at stereotypes and challenging us to think critically about who we are and what we want out of society and ourselves. The Simpsons first aired in 1989, but its golden age was in the 90s, and it's still on the air, along with a crop of satirical cartoons inspired by it. Rather than the -the pie-in-the-sky optimism of the Jetsons, which left us with a rude awakening of the present day at the end of an episode, The Simpsons fosters humility in our culture by uniting us in ridicule, not of others, but of ourselves. We are better because of this scrutiny and the laughs we get as a byproduct. Before you hear the music that'll tell us that our time is up, I have some closing thoughts on the moral compass, or lack thereof, of Governor Mike Dunleavy. Last week on Twitter, Governor Dunleavy expressed anger over former President Trump being banned from Facebook by tweeting, if it could happen to a former president, it could happen to you. Clearly, our governor was upset that Facebook, a private company who has the right to ban individuals from their platform, was, in his view, silencing free speech. He was upset that a private company was silencing free speech. So where was his outrage when Kevin Clarkson, his disgraced former attorney general, was caught sexually harassing a junior employee? And then his chief of staff attempted to silence her by telling her, just say it didn't happen. Where was his outrage in a state that leads the nation in crimes against women, domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, everything bad? Where was Dunleavy's outrage when his top law enforcement officer, his close personal advisor, tried to silence the media by lying that he had done nothing improper and there were no text messages on his phone when in fact there were hundreds and they were mostly very suggestive? Where was the governor's outrage for the single mother of two who was struggling to keep her job and raise her kids during this pandemic and then was subjected to constant unwanted advances by his attorney general? There was no outrage because according to Governor Mike Dunleavy, getting silenced by Facebook is a more serious offense than one of your female employees who works just steps from your office getting sexually harassed by an attorney general that you appointed. And with all due respect, how does a guy who tells a sexual harassment victim to say it never happened get a job with a major oil company? I mean, was there no one in the HR department that said, hey, you you know what? This might not send the best message to our female employees about the culture of an organization if we hire somebody for a senior management position who is on record as telling the victim of sexual harassment to say it didn't happen. But this isn't it. Over the last several years, Governor Dunleavy has leveraged his Department of Law to attack people not just former employees and organizations, but private sector companies have been attacked by his Department of Law to keep them silent. And we're going to talk about much more on episodes to come. 
And there is the music, ladies and gentlemen. That tells us our time is done. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please join us on Monday. We are going to talk about a city sales tax and a state sales tax. And you need to listen to this podcast, if for nothing else, to be equipped with information that will allow you to make a better decision. Van, throw us those website needs. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. All right, so that is our time, ladies and gentlemen. We hope to see you here on Monday. Take care.